right? So if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And we'll just go to the end of the chapter. I'll give you guys a few seconds to find it. Okay, verse 14. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you, written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who, are not, who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now there, is, now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem." To in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They, will, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task I've, and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on, on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and your company be refreshed. The God of peace with you all. Amen. So I ultimately have really four points to break down this, you know, really important piece of passage, right? But before we do, I just want to say a quick prayer. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray as I, uh, I look at Paul's letter here at the end of chapter 15, that we can, yeah, I can adequately express the intention of the letter, Lord, and we can look at what it really means to be on your mission. And like Max was talking about in Philippians 2, we can really get a, a strong idea about, the, about what your purpose for us is, Lord, and that it's not our perspective of what the mission is, Lord, but it's your perspective. And I pray, Lord, uh, as, as I read through and explore this passage, Lord, we can have humble and open hearts, and we can be convicted by your word, and that we can take it to a, a far, far deeper level, Lord, which resonates on our lives. And I pray for this all in your precious name. Amen. So, the mission. Um, so, we can skip to the next slide real quick. So, the mission is obviously incredibly important, right? Because, I mean, a fair few of us would have been met in some way during the mission, right? The mission is the products of people 
making disciples. As it says in Matthew 28, go out, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, right? It's a huge part of the Christian lifestyle, right? But it's easy to have misconceptions about what it is. And as we see here in verse 15 to 22, Paul is talking about priestly duties. And then in verse 23 to 29, he, he shifts the focus on more, in the more of a sense of like a contribution to Jerusalem. And then he finishes off with this really push for prayer and some harsh realities about it, yeah? And so my four points uh, from these passages are, uh, the first one is it is our offering. The mission is our offering. And the second is that it's a collective effort and not individual. The third is para- it's where well, you be careful not to be parasitic, but to always be symbiotic. And the last, uh, the last point I have is it's risk against reward. So let's explore that. So our offering, what does it mean for our offering? What, what does that look like? Now, in Romans, uh, in, in verse 16, sorry, it says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering accept, ac- acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? So this is fairly strong language, right? It's fairly specific language as well. I mean, look what he actually says. He says, priestly duty, Right? This is Paul's perspective on what the mission, the mission actually is. And how many, how many of us really go around doing the mission and have the mindset of, I'm performing my priestly duty? It's extremely strong language. And then he goes in further, he says that the, that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that's an, another element to it as well, where the people who we meet the people who are brought into the fold of Christ are people who we are offering up to God, right? And this is, I mean, like I said, it's extremely strong language. And the reason why Paul does this, the purpose behind the strong language and these uh, these references, first of all, is to encourage the church because the church he's talking to uh, is a Gentile church, right? The Roman church. These are people who hearing that I'm an offering to God, it has certain implications, Right? If you're familiar with the Old Testament and the Jewish sacrificial offering system, then you would know that you couldn't just offer anything. Right? God was, for lack of a better word, a bit picky about what you offered. Right? If you want to go to Genesis, look at Cain and Abel, I mean, that's a great example. Right? One offering is accepted, the other is rejected. Right? And the idea is not every offering is accepted. It needs to be unblemished, without defects, the best right? God demands the best from you. And so when Paul is saying that the Gentiles are an offering acceptable to God, he's saying they are indeed without blemish in the sight of God. They are completely pure. They are acceptable when at one stage they weren't, right? They were rejected. So this is a massively encouraging, encouraging statement for the Roman church. And that's a strong part of why Paul is saying this here. But they'll come back later because it's meant to invoke some feeling of gratitude, right? And it should for us as well, right? For us to be ceremonially clean vessels when, in fact, we weren't at one stage, there should be a strong aspect of gratitude, which is important. We'll get to it later. But when it comes to doing the mission, putting yourself out of your comfort zone, Gratitude is important, right? And the second reason why he does it is to redefine what the mission actually is. 
And like I said earlier, we, we don't often walk around thinking to ourselves, I'm performing my priestly duty. But that's how Paul sees the mission. That's his perspective, right? When he goes and he meets somebody, it is an offering up to God, right? In the same way, when we meet somebody or we do something to allow someone to enter uh, the household of Christ, we have to realize it is an offering to God. That's Paul's perspective. It is an offering up to God. And it has so much, so much significance. It's going to be tough, man. I'm going to have to like, point at you every time I want a slide change. Oh, okay, sweet. All right, and so if you, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Isaiah 66, verse 20. Because this, um, this is what Paul is referring to when he talks about priestly duty and, and an offering to God. All right, so it's Isaiah 66, verse, yeah, let's go from verse 20. And it says, And they will bring all your people from all nations, all the nations, to my holy mountain Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord, on horses and chariots and wagons and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. This is, this is what Paul's referring to when he talks about you know, priestly duties and making an offering. And the Gentiles, in a way, the implications is the Gentiles are no longer separate from Israel because that's the Jewish view. The, the, the Gentiles are on one side and Israel is on a separate side. Right? But what Paul is referring to here is the combining of both. Right? He's saying that the Gentiles, the pagans, those who are separate, have now entered into that nation, God's holy nation, which is you know, a fairly important thing to, to, to grasp because traditionally they always were separate. Right? And this is why there was so much backlash from the Jews right, towards the Gentile believers. If you guys are familiar with Acts, you'll be able to read a lot about it, and we'll look at it later maybe. Um, but there is a lot of Jews who, who don't like that idea. Israel cannot be expanded to incorporate all these different people, right? But the reality is that is what God's plan is for, right? To incorporate everyone into it. And I, I do like in, uh, in the ESV version, it talks about bring all your brothers, right? Instead of saying, oh, bring all your people. And that kind of takes that step further, right? Where it's just not the nation anymore, the nation of Israel, but it's talking about God's household now. Brothers, sisters, father, mother, Right? These are terminologies that's connected to family, right? Massive, massive implications. And so, obviously, there's, there's, there's a sense of now not only are they part of Israel, but they have the rights and the privileges connected to that as well. And those promises that God made to Israel, to the patriarchs, now flow onto the Gentiles as well, right? And so that's, that's significant, but then also there's this, this notion that not only do they have the privileges connected to Israel, but they have also the duties, the responsibilities connected to Israel as well. So we can uh, skip to the next slide. That's going to get a little bit repetitive. <laughs> and so in verse 16, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, so, um, so Paul is describing these people as sanctified by the Holy Spirit, without blemish, with you know, accept, an acceptable offering. And Paul's trying to help them see the deeper meaning behind the mission here. 
where it's as though they were once separate, they are now part of Israel, and now that they are part of Israel, they have an obligation as part of Israel to bring more people into it. But not just to bring new people into it, but to care and, uh, I guess, in some ways to support those who are uh, also part of Israel, including the Jerusalem church. And this idea of, uh, this idea of like a priestly duty on offering up to God is not a new one for Paul, right? If you're familiar with Romans, it, it, it pops up um, at least one time right, in Romans 12. Um, and in Romans 12, it talks about, in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Romans 12, verse 1, compared to Romans 15, verse 16, it's on the screen, I believe. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different parallels happening, right? And what Paul is primarily trying to help us to see, trying to help the Roman church see, is the type of offering he's interested in is not your money, right? It's not even really uh, any kind of uh, like material stuff. It's not really your time in a way. The offering that he's interested in, he primarily wants, is your life. Right? That's the type of that's the type of offering which pleases God. Right? He pleases it pleases him in the sense of Romans twelve, where it's your own life. You are offering your own body as a living sacrifice. But here in Romans fifteen, it's talking more so about offering other people up to God. Right? Those are the type of offerings that God is primarily concerned with. Right? But what does an offering to uh, offering of a life look like? Right? I mean, it's kind of like a vague, abstract idea. Right, to offer someone up to God. I mean, is it like, you know, uh, Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac? Not exactly, okay? You don't have to physically kill people, all right? Amen, yes. But there is a sense of in order to offer someone up to, to Christ, uh, to God, right? There's this idea of a submission of a life. Right? When Romans 12, when he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, it's a submission of your life to God. In the same way, Gentiles learning about God, who he is, right, and being brought into his household, it implies they are no longer submissive to themselves, but are submissive to God's rule. Yeah? And we know this because the word obedience pops up a lot. It's like a theme which is interlinked with the mission. Obedience Offerings and the mission itself are all interlinked themes, right? And if you, you don't have to look there, but just with the Romans 12 passage right before there, it talks a lot about disobedience. Yeah? In the same way, uh, in the same way in verse 18 of, uh, of uh, Romans 15, uh, Paul, Paul says, leading the, leading the uh, Gentiles to obey God. Yeah? And then think about Matthew 28. The primary, I guess, statement of intent for the mission, right? Go out, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, right? And that's what a life offering to God looks like. It's a life which translates from disobedience. Skip to the next slide. It's a life which goes from disobedience to a life of complete obedience. Yeah. Um, and you skip to the next slide. I'm already running behind. <laughs> 
Boom, there it is. Disobedience to obedience, okay? That's, that's what the mission is. And that's kind of like the summary statement for Paul, where Paul defines the mission as the offering of an obedient life to God. Yeah? And that's important to realize because if, you, if, you're, in this, if you're in this idea that the mission is go out and evangelize, or if you're in this, this mindset of oh, the mission is I've got to study the Bible with people, okay, that's so specific, right? But it's actually really, it's such a narrow perspective. It's extremely narrow-sided, and it limits what the mission is. But as soon as you, as soon as you start saying, oh, the mission is to help people obey God, that broadens it massively, right? And that allows everyone to be involved, right? Because the worst, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's typical of some churches as well, um, and sometimes even our own, where people view the mission as uh, restricted to certain groups or certain people in the church, they did the mission, I'd rock up and have coffee, all right? That can be the mindset sometimes. But that's not Paul's mindset. That's not Paul's definition of what the mission is, yeah? Next slide. I got you, man. All right. So obviously Paul redefines the mission, and now we're into the next point, which is it's a collective, and it's not individual effort. And like I said, it's not always easy to have that mindset where it's a group effort. But Paul does have that mindset. And um, you may be thinking to yourself, like, how does this concern me, right? How, how I don't go evangelizing. I don't go reaching out. I, I'm not somebody who, who practically goes into the mission, right? Why does this concern me? But like I mentioned earlier, like that's too narrow a viewpoint of what the mission is. The, the mission is way, way broader than, than just that. And Paul wants everyone to be involved. He wants everyone to contribute to some degree. Yeah? And we know this because in verse 23 uh, of Romans 15, it says, I've been longing. I've been longing. I'm just making sure it's on the right slide. I've been longing for many years to visit you. In verse 24, it says, I, I've, I have you... He's going to have you assist me, assist me on my journey. In verse 30, join me in my struggle. Pray that I be kept safe. In verse 32, in your company, be refreshed. Right? He's using all these, all these uh, verses in a way to help the Roman church realize it's not just him. Right? Because this is not like a modern idea where it's like they do the work. I, I, I have a different purpose or role. Right? That's not a new idea. The Roman church, like, like you know, seeing uh, Paul talk about his ministry to the Gentiles and how he's offering them up as, a, you know, as an offering to God, their minds would instantly kind of shift towards, okay, well, that's Paul's, Paul's thing to do. I'm, I'm not involved in that. Right? But part of being, of, you know, part of, uh, being part of the Israel, uh, nation of Israel is having that kind of mindset where I'm going to contribute. Yeah? And Paul knows that not everyone in the Roman church has a role of going out and, and doing what he's doing. Not everyone can, you know, travel around the Middle East, you know, planting churches, you know, writing crazy letters and stuff like that. Right? Not everyone is cut out for that. But he does know that everyone, to some degree, has the ability to contribute to the message or, you know, the message of Christ. Amen? And it does remind me, uh, you want to skip to the next slide. It does remind me of our First Corinthians 12, right? I can really, really quickly for everyone, if I have it in my notes. Um, it says in verse 12, 
uh, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, this is a radical idea at, the point, at this point, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, I, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if, you, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one apart, if they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. And this is something we as a church need to keep in mind. Right? We are designed as a body of Christ to be different. Different in the sense of our operation, but the same in terms of our goal and purpose, right? Uh, we all have that common, that common objective as, as Christians, that common duty right, to go out and make disciples. Right? But how the foot operates is going to be radically different to how the hand operates. But it doesn't mean the foot has any less role in the church. Right? It doesn't mean those people who are you know, married in the church have any less responsibility to contribute than those people who are single. Yeah? Or vice versa with, um, you know, gender or age or whatever kind of situation you're in, right? There's so many different people in the church for the sake of reaching a vast majority, right? Think about it like this. Um, in, in Next slide. <laughs> um, Paul demonstrates this point, right? In, uh, I mean, you guys... You can turn there if you want, but it's just in Romans 16, in the very next chapter, right? He gives like a list of shout outs, right? You know, all the people who are kind of like influenced or helped him out, right? Um, in regards to the Roman church. And so the first one he, he lists is Phoebe. Right? You don't get much from Phoebe, right? It's not, you know, Phoebe from friends, right? You don't get heaps, right? Yeah, that was a corny joke, I know. Uh, thank you, uh, it's so encouraging. Um, but all we get of Phoebe is, uh, no, she is a benefactor of Paul. Like, what she does is she finance, financially supports him and his comrades, right, in doing the mission. Right? Who is Phoebe? I mean, she's not listed with a, a male, anyone else. I would assume she's single because of that, right? And most likely, because she's, I mean, she's a benefactor, she's quite wealthy, so I would assume from that she's probably a widow as well, right? That's a very unique person to be helping out poor. But she's listed first. Is she out there making disciples physically? Preaching? No. She's not studying the Bible with anyone. Like, her supporting the mission is her financially supporting poor. It doesn't mean her offering to God is any less than Paul's offering to God, but she plays a part in the overall offering up of people, yeah? And then even Priscilla and Aquila, who like on the opposite side of the spectrum, like these are a married couple, and they are most well-known for, in, uh, in Acts 18, for, for, uh, for correcting Apollos, right? That's hands-on ministry stuff, hands-on mission stuff, right? It's not just indirect they are making an offering up to God, right? I think of Barnabas, 
uh, he was like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like a, a, a companion of Paul, like a sidekick kind of. Um, although they have some arguments at some point. But yeah, for the most part, they're like companions. And so, I mean, his name, if you, if you read, read in Acts, is, is literally translate into, translates into son of encouragement. I mean, his offering to God is encouragement. I mean, he does sell a lot of stuff, a lot of property, and give it all to the apostles as well, right? But primarily, he's, he's encouragement. He uses his words, his actions, to build up the church. He goes from inward, and that inward focus translate out, translates outward, right? right? But it's nonetheless part of the mission. And so what do all three examples have in common, right? Because they're all relatively different, as we talked about. Right, Priscilla and Aquila are way different to Phoebe, and and we're all, both of those are way different to Barnabas. But the thing is, they have in common is that they have a mission focus still. They are contributing still. Right, they are even though they are not poor, they are working in their best means to further God's kingdom. Yeah, their concern is God's kingdom, and that's the kind of attitude that we need as well. Right. Not everyone here will be able to go out to university campus. Some of you guys are old. Uh, I mean, I mean, relative, God, relative to eternity. Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, oh, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> but on the contrary, not everyone can go into the workplace, right? Because we're stuck in university, right? So we all have our mission fields. We all have our areas where we can, we can contribute, right? But the point is that we, regardless of where we are, we do have to contribute, right? We do have to make collective efforts. No one is exempt. And so I do encourage us, guys, is don't fall into the routine of church, Yeah? I mean, I haven't been a disciple of that long, but I know, I know it's easy to fall into a routine. You turn up on Sunday, maybe midweek occasionally, you grab a coffee, you chat to people, and that's the limitations of your spiritual inputs, right? That routine is dangerous, yeah? That, that mentality says, they do it, I turn up. My contribution, my offering to God is my presence, which is a dangerous, dangerous mentality, not only because you aren't supporting the church, but you're missing out yourself as well, right? Because the reward from the mission, as we'll look at soon, is, is so much better than you could possibly even imagine, right? And I do like verse 32 uh, in, in, in chapter 15 where it says, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. I, I feel like this is at the bare minimum, okay? of what mission is. Everyone can do it, right? Everyone here is company to somebody else, right? But a great question to be asking is, does my company refresh people? Do I interact with people and they come away from it feeling, oh, yeah, hmm. I feel, I feel refreshed. Or do you drain people? <laughs> I mean, we don't know for sure, right? But... <laughs> But my, my point being is that, I mean, that's, like, that's a, a very tangible, easy way that you can support the mission, right? You can contribute no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, right? I mean, think about if we have a, a visitor in church, somebody who's earnestly seeking God. What kind of difference do you think that could make if you go up to that person and you speak, right? You have a conversation, you interact with that person who has the courage and boldness to come to a social group they are not used to. 
Who knows what kind of impact that will have? Are you going to get the glory of baptizing them? <laughs> Probably not, all right? But that's not, that's not the point, all right? The point is the offering is just the same, yeah? Those people who baptize Trent's, whoever they are, it's irrelevant people. Uh, <laughs> but the, those, those people are making an offering just the same as people who support Trent through other means, yeah? We have to understand it's a holistic approach, Right, because when you start to narrow it down, you miss out on the big picture. All right, even my like even my employments. Right? I don't. I mean, Sam announced it last last week, but I'm working for the church now. Right, my employment is made possible because of people who were generous and contributed. Right, people in this room. Right, not like random people from over east. All right, in Melbourne or from America. Right, people who want to see God's kingdom advanced. Right? It doesn't mean you get to see that contribution tangibly, right? But, 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 when I go out sharing, evangelizing, right, when I do Bible studies, when I'm involved in baptisms, right, in the same way I offer those, those people, those Gentiles, up to God, those people who have put me in that position are also making an offering to God as well. Yeah? Next slide. All right, symbiotic versus parasitic. All right, and this goes, and so this is in verse 23 to 29, all right, where it talks about, oh, I dropped my piece. Oh, sorry, it's bottom. Verse 23 to 21, where it says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me in my journey there after I enjoy your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share for them or share with them their material blessings. Right, and so Paul, this this part is harder to harder to connect to the mission. It does, bear with me, but it's not as clear cut as the, the previous uh, passage, where it talks about you know Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. But it does very intricately connect to what the mission is. And some backstory about this is, uh, you have to turn there, but it kind of originates in Galatians two, and so Paul was having a kind of like a meeting with uh, the apostles. Right? And they're discussing different aspects of, I guess, the church. Right? And Paul, uh, Paul's made an apostle, so is Barnabas. And ultimately what happens is they, they part ways, but the apostles, including Peter, they say all that, in Galatians 2 verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the, 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 oh, sorry, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Right? So Jerusalem is not doing well. Right? Jerusalem is heavily impoverished. It needs assistance. And so Paul is taking up a collection from all the Gentile churches. He's helping support the church in Jerusalem through the, con- through the contribution of the Gentile churches. And that's the primary reason why he does it, right? To support them financially. But it does have a different aspect to it, right? Because if you, if you happen to look down a little bit further in Galatians, things go a bit sour in verse 11 to 14. Right? There's a lot of conflicts. There's some Jews 
within the uh, Antioch church who are who are pushing against the idea that the Gentiles and the Jews are kind of on the same level, and they're endorsing segregation. And Paul's like, hey, guys, no, you can't be doing this, okay? This is not okay. There's some words said. Uh, he kind of, Paul calls out Peter, and there's like a lot of tension, right? And this is like an insight into the rift occurring in the church right now, right? The Jews are on one side, the Gentiles on a different side. And so Paul he sees this contribution as way more than financially supporting a church, right? He sees it as a way of hopefully unifying the church. The Gentile church are reaching out to the Jews, the Jewish believers, right? And so in his mind, it has such a, such a high significance. And, um, and sorry, one second. So it primarily was a way to support the church financially, but also had an undertone of like an effort to build unity between the churches. And in verse 27, it says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings as well. And so it was almost like they have a duty now. This is the mother church in Jerusalem who needs help, and Paul is calling on the Gentiles to, to dig deep to help out. But there's also, I, mean, I was reading some commentaries and some, some different translations that refer to the contribution as more of a fruit. A fruit in, as like a, a return of the investment that the Jews, the Jewish believers have made in the Gentiles, right? Because if it wasn't, like it says, if it wasn't for the Jewish believers uh, having shared in the, oh, if it wasn't for the Jewish believers sharing their spiritual blessings, the Gentiles wouldn't be in Israel, right? They wouldn't be saved. They wouldn't be ceremonially clean, right? So that investment, that investment from the Jerusalem church, from the Jewish believers, is meant to result in a fruit, a return. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. How does that connect to us? Well, think about all the spiritual investment you've had, right? Every single person here, I assume, has had spiritual investment in their life. A tremendous amount from God, yeah, but also from people around us, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Not one person is, is going to be able to grow and mature spiritually without the assistance of other people, Right? But that doesn't come at, you know, this, this, it's not the sense of like, you just take, take, take. Although, you know, early on in your Christian walk, it might be like that. I mean, the Bible literally describes you as an infant. You know, you need spiritual milk. In those days, it is take, take, take. But eventually you grow up. Eventually you mature, right? Just like the Gentile churches. Eventually there's meant to be a fruit from that investment, Right? That's what Paul expects. That's what the Jewish believers expect. And that's what God expects from us, yeah? Right? We cannot just be takers, right? We can't just be parasites. And that's a strong word, but it's an appropriate word, right? I mean, if you're going to church day after day and you just take, right? It's not sustainable for you especially, yeah? There is, ironically, when you take, 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 you miss out on maturing spiritually. That's the irony of it, right? 
to, to mature spiritually, there's an aspect of giving necessary, yeah? There's the aspect of interdependence within the church. You supporting the church as the church supports you, right? I think that's, it's so important, right? Because I guess because when you're when you thinking about the mission, right, that's like the ultimate form of you, you giving, right? The mission is not comfortable, right? The mission is tough. You, if you want to go sharing to people in your, in your, your workplace, that's not always ideal, right? It's not always a lot of fun, right? You want to do Bible studies with people who strongly dislike you. That happens, right? That's not, that's not enjoyable, right? But it's an aspect of growing spiritually mature. And the cool thing is, once you do grow spiritually mature, it's not seen as a duty anymore, is it? Right? Part of being spiritually mature is that you are pleased to do it, just like it mentions here in this passage. Right? It's this eagerness to do it. You, you owe it. You owe God to be, to be doing, to return that investment. But it's not seen as a burden. Right? Part of being spiritually mature is that you're willing to do it. And not only are you willing, but you're eager to do it. Right? Next slide. All right, that would have been an appropriate slide for the next slide. <laughs> next slide. <laughs> I got caught up, okay? Sorry. I am well and truly lost. All right, risk versus reward, okay? That's my, that's my final point. Right, and the reason I leave it as the final point is because it's the, the final paragraph in the, uh, the passage, in the chapter. All right, so it's uh, Romans 15, 30 to uh, 33. I can read it real quickly, where it says, um, oops. Uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy. By God's will and your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So there's like a, a dual aspect to this, okay? And Paul touches on both quite significantly, right? There's a risk aspect to the mission, and there's a reward aspect to the mission. And the risk is kind of obvious, right? Because he says there in, um, he says there in verse... Uh, 31, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, right? Paul understands the mission has some opposition. That's the way it works. You don't go into darkness trying to spread light without some pushback. If you're not getting any pushback, perhaps you're not in the right place, right? It's just, it's just the way it works. There's always going to be opposition, Right? It doesn't matter how small your offering is. There's always going to be opposition when it comes to the mission. Yeah? But the part which I really find interesting is uh, the next part of the risk where it says, um, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. That's an interesting risk. Right? Because... The reason Paul is asking them to pray about it is because he's not confident, he's not certain that it will be favorably received. Right? There's still a rift between the Gentiles and Jews. 
to the point that Paul's, Paul, Paul suspects that the Jewish believers may reject, he may reject the offering the Gentiles are making, which is absurd, right? It's so confusing, right? These people are raising money for you and you want to reject it? But that's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the fear that, that Paul has, right? Because when it comes to rifts and uh, squabbling in the church, that's a, that's a massive reason why people get distracted from the mission. Yeah? It doesn't become about the mission anymore. Right? It becomes about your own personal thing. It's not a collective effort anymore. It's about me. Right? And I'm sure, I mean, especially people who have been around for a while, you've probably seen several squabbles. Several, I guess, I don't, know, I don't know, for lack of a better word, scandals or arguments in the church which have drawn people's attention away from the mission. Where it puts the mission second and what I want first. Yeah? Which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's so infuriating, right? Because the church, in a way, is meant to be unified. Paul is frustrated at the Jewish believers. He lets Peter know about it as well, if you want to read through Acts. He lets them know completely that, you know, what you're doing is unbiblical, right? Because Paul's focused on the mission. He's focused on reaching Gentiles and making offerings to God, right? But this rift between the Jews and or the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, it's just drawing everything away from it, yeah? And that's always going to be an aspect of the mission, where it's going to be an aspect of the risk of the mission, where you're going to have opposition from outside but the cruel irony is that you often have opposition from the inside as well, which is, I mean, I guess that's the way it is. That's the nature of it. It was, it was true back then. It's true today as well, right? There's always going to be people in the church who draw your attention away from the mission, yeah? Just try not to be one of those people. <laughs> and, but there's a reward aspect as well. I mean, when you look at verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, verse 30, right? Paul is incorporating Christ in everything, right? Whether it not be, um, oh, sorry, whether, that explains why I can't find it. All right. In verse 16, he says, he gave me the priestly duty. So God gave him the priestly duty. In verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And in verse 19, one is the signs that are performed by Paul through the power of the Spirit of God. And verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. That's every element of the mission. It goes from his accomplishments, which, which Christ has accomplished through him. And then it looks at his struggles, his persecutions, which God supports him. Paul's mindset is that every aspect of the mission needs to involve Christ, right? It's not just him. It involves Christ. And not just Christ, but it involves the whole church, right? And that's, that's, a cool thing about, that's a cool thing about the mission is that the, the reward about doing, for doing Christ, you know, the, the purpose that Christ has given you is so high, right? When you ingrain and uh, uh, introduce Christ in every area of your life, it has a lot of fruits which emerge from it, which, which is like in comparison to the risk, the persecution, the squabbling, right? The rewards far outweigh. You can go to the next slide. They, 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 far, they far, far outweigh the risk, right? I mean, I have... Uh, 
there was one story uh, probably like three days ago, roughly. I was just chilling at home. It's like nine o'clock. I get, I get a phone call. No cool ID. I'm like, oh my goodness, who's this? Oh, I answer, see, what, see who it is. Um, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to answer no cool ID. And, um, and the guy on the other side is like breathing heavy. I'm like, oh my goodness. And he says, is this Jono? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Jono. And he's like, I've seen you walking around campus. I see you walking around campus spreading your Christian faith. I'm like, oh, sweet, thanks, man. And then he starts abusing me, verbally abusing me and saying that I know where you live. I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy. I'm not too worried about you turning up to where I live. You're not even brave enough to use your phone ID. But that is intense, right? That's, that's, that's the type of risk which is involved. But then I, I, I think about like seeing Trent baptized, seeing Adam baptized, right? That reward makes it worth it, right? In fact, that reward is not possible without that risk, right? Which makes the risk even sweeter, right? I'm talking to this guy with a big smile on my face, like, oh, yeah, I must be doing something right, right? Clearly, I'm stirring up something on campus, right? Which is encouraging. So as I just conclude, because I can see Sam glancing at me at the back. Um, yeah, just. Uh, yeah, so my four points is the mission is our offering, right? Our offering to God. When you when you contribute to some degree, okay, whether it be you know out sharing your faith or whether it be giving encouraging words, that is an offering to God, right? And it's a collective effort. It's not individual. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone is part of the body of Christ and has an individual purpose. And remember, do not be a parasite, right? Symbiotic, right? You can you can spend your Christian life take take taking, but you miss out that way. Yeah? You need to get to the point where you're actually giving a bit. And then risk versus reward, right? The risk does not outweigh the reward. The reward is so much sweeter, right? The reward, reward is so much better than any possible risk you could possibly have. Amen? So let's say a quick prayer before I finish up. Heavenly uh, Father, Lord, I just want to, yeah, I just want to thank you so much oh, that you are that you have Paul's letter in Romans 15, Lord, uh, this passage to encourage us to build us up, and that you don't view the mission the way we do, Lord. You have a, a perspective way grander, way broader than we do. And you realize that when we do stuff for you in, in terms of making disciples of all nation, Lord, it is an offering pleasing to you, Lord. That's why I thank you that we ourselves, Lord, are, we, we are offerings to you also and that you do, in fact, accept us, Lord. And your spirit has cleansed, cleansed us, Lord, and uh, removed all those impurities, Lord, and that we can just approach you confidently knowing that your purpose and your design and, and your strength that you give us, Lord, goes far beyond anything else that we can possibly uh, hope for, Lord, and far beyond anything which could possibly oppose us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, as, we, as we leave, Lord, we can have the work convict us and rest on our minds and we can meditate on it and that we can just really make an effort, Lord, to be givers, Lord, where it's not about ourselves, but it's about your world, Lord, your kingdom, Lord, advancing your gospel, I pray that uh, we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices every day, Lord, and deny ourselves and submit to your rule. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.